child was grown, fell on a day. He went out to his father to the reapers. He said unto his father, My head, my head. He said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We prepare our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our bodies today, God, to hear your word. We thank you in advance for speaking to us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Sister Beebe tonight sing a song about trials. So, fit right in. Where is Sister Beebe? She just disappeared. There she is. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thanks, Sister Beebe. Didn't you sing a song about trials? Something about trials? She doesn't remember the words, but. I heard the word trial. Tonight we're going to teach you on a theology in daily life of the trying of our faith. Okay? Trials. Second Kings chapter 4, the prophet Elisha, well-known story. Before I get into that, want to read something to you, uh, any of you are familiar with that song, It Is Well, I've never heard that song, I've ever sung that song before, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul, a lot of those hymns that are sung in church have stories behind them. We don't know the stories behind them because we don't look at that. But the person that wrote that hymn, something happened in his life. And out of that tragedy, he wrote a song. If you will look in the scripture in chapter 4. look at verse 26. The man of God asked this woman about her life if she was well. Verse 26, run now I pray thee to meet her and say unto her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is. Obviously she did that by faith her child was dead. Amen. So, when I preach from this text, I always remember this song, It Is Well With My Soul. And so I'm going to read you the story or the background from which this song was written. The man who wrote this song, It Is 
will in my soul. Horatio G. Stafford, 1828 to 1888. Uh, the scriptures given here, God is our refuge and strength, ever-present help in trouble. Inner peace through an implicit trust in the love of God is the real evidence of a mature Christian faith. Only with this kind of confidence in his Heavenly Father could Horatio Stafford experience such heart-rending tragedies as he did and yet be able to say, it is well with my soul. Stafford had known peaceful and happy days as a successful attorney in Chicago. He was the father of four daughters, an active member of the Presbyterian Church, and a loyal friend and supporter of D.L. Moody and other evangelical leaders of his day. Then, a series of calamities began starting with the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 which wiped out the family's extensive real estate investments. When Mr. Moody and his music associate, Ira Sankley, left for Great Britain for an evangelistic campaign, Spafford decided to lift the spirits of his family by taking them on a vacation to Europe. He also planned to assist in the Moody-Sankey meetings there November of 1873, Spafford was detained by urgent business, but he sent his wife and four daughters as scheduled on the SS Villet du Corvée, planning to join them soon. Halfway across the Atlantic, the ship was struck by an English vessel and sank in 12 minutes. All four of Stafford's daughters, Tanetta, Maggie, Annie, and Bessie, were among the 226 who drowned. Miss Stafford was among the few who were miraculously saved. Horatio Stafford stood hour after hour on the deck of the ship, carrying him to rejoin his sorrowing wife parted wells. When the ship passed the approximate place where his precious daughters had drowned, Stafford received sustaining comfort from God that enabled him to write. Sorrows like sea billows roll, it is well with my soul. What a picture of our hope. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the 
shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Chicago fire, and then right after that, experiencing the loss, not of one child, but four children, receiving the news from his wife that she alone was the survivor. And then this man on his way to pick up his wife, to be with his wife, as he passes that location where his daughters died, God gave him that great song. He said, it is well with my soul. When you think about the tragedy he went through, not just one, but multiple tragedies the man went through, but yet somehow he had faith to proclaim and to declare, it is well with my soul. Where does that come from? How, how can a person go through so much lose so much, experience so much pain, and instead of writing about the pain, simply write, it is well with my soul. That is a tremendous amount of faith to be able to do that. Oftentimes we go through trials and we need to have that perspective on our trials when we do that it is well with our soul. It's important that we handle trials correctly. And that is what this Shunammite said. But before we get into that, let's look at the trial of her life. The scripture tells us in 2 Kings chapter 4 that Elisha would pass through Shunam, beginning in verse 8, by the way. He would pass through Shunam from time to time. And the scripture tells us there was a great woman that was there. The word great here in the text means that she was very wealthy. But that is not the only reason why she was great, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But she was a very wealthy woman, her and her husband. And the Bible tells us she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither, to eat bread, so on more than one occasion, Elisha sat down with his mother and father, no children at the time, and ate with them. Obviously, at some point, it was made known to her that a prophet of the Lord was sitting at the table with them. There's no way that this could have been hidden. He was a prophet of the Lord, but something began to speak to her by way of perception. Something that was telling her uh, perception instantly about the prophet that was set across from her that he wasn't just a prophet. The Bible says in verse 9 that she spoke to her husband and said, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passeth by us. He's a, he doesn't say he's a prophet. She already knew that. He doesn't point out any of his other traits, whether he was tall, dark, handsome, 
speak well, couldn't speak well, doesn't talk about any of that. She just perceived that he was a holy man of God. Now, you can be a preacher, don't, that doesn't mean you're holy. You can go to church, that doesn't mean you're holy. But there was something about Elisha that when he came in and sat down with her as a prophet, and she knew he was a prophet, there was something that was telling her, he's not only a prophet, but he's a holy man of God. He's a very godly man. And so what she does is, she looks at her husband and she asks him, the term is used pray. She said, uh, let us make a little chamber. I pray thee. She didn't order her husband around. You know, she didn't say, okay, we got a man of God here. We got a prophet of God here. and He's holy man of God. And so I order you to build a little chamber in the wall for him. No, she asked him. First strong point of the woman. Amen. Shows her submissive spirit to her husband. Now this is what she wanted to do. She wanted to build a chamber and put a, a bed in it and a table in it and a stool in it and a candle so that he could study at night, you know, whatever. She had these big plans for this man and she could have told her husband, this is what we're going to do. And could have ordered him around, and but she doesn't because it shows the kind of spirit that she had. She had a very submissive spirit. Okay. And so she asked permission. She said, let us build a little chamber in the wall. We're going to put a bed there, put a table there. Amen. We'll put a, a candle here. And, amen. Place for him to rest. In verse 11, And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, Gehazi is his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us. You've been taking care of us. With all this care, we got a place to stay. You made an addition to your house. You built a room for us. Bought us a bed, put a table in it, put a candle in it. Gave us food to eat. You've been taking good care of us. So it's time for you to be rewarded what you've done. Your kindness. How you've taken care of us. And so he asked her, he says, well, what do you want? Now, you got somebody like Elisha asking you, what do you want? Well, there'd be a lot of things running through your mind, right? You know, Elisha here, God hears Elisha, so uh, pretty much just about anything you wanted, he could petition God for so he asked her, what do you want? Do you want to, you want to petition the king for you? Right? I mean, what do you want? And so the scripture tells us that she answered, I dwell among my own people. He said, what then is to be done for her? She wouldn't tell him what she wanted. She didn't say anything. She just said, I just dwell among my own people. And I'm not interested in reward, but the prophet wanted to reward for her for everything that she had. So he asked Gehazi, his servant, and Gehazi tells him, 
Notice, she doesn't tell me. She doesn't tell the prophet. She doesn't say, I don't have any children. She doesn't say, I want children. She doesn't say, give me children. It's Gehazi that tells the prophet that she doesn't have children. That's really important to understand. So, as a reward for her kindness to them, and Elisha specifically, he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaiden. Now, the word embrace there is plural. Going to embrace him when he's born in life. But she did not know that there would be another embrace, and that would be that he, she would embrace him in death. We don't see that in the English. It is a plural term in Hebrew. And we will see this played out. So as a reward for what she had done uh, to the man of God, she conceives and bear a son at the season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. So she embraced him in life. And the Bible says and the child was grown. Probably not an adult, obviously, probably about four or five years of age. Something happens to this child that was given to her as a reward. The scripture tells us a great trial comes into this woman's life. And we're going to learn from this story about trials, how they come, and we're going to learn about how to handle them when they come. So the great joy of having a child, a woman that was barren, a husband that was old, supernaturally this child is born, He's been given to them as a gift, as a reward for their kindness. And then the scripture tells us that she falls into a trial. And this is not the only one. In the 8th chapter, she'll fall into another trial when she loses her property for a period of time in famine. And uh, the scripture tells us about the trial first of all. When the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. So it's a time... Uh, when the harvest is taking place, it's a very busy time, the time of harvest. It is a time, uh, if it's in the daytime, it's hot. And it's a time, Isaiah 9 and 3, a time of joy. A time of harvest, people really excited, really happy. The harvest is being brought in. So you can imagine how busy everybody is during this time, and how happy everybody is during this time. It's hot. And then the scripture tells us about this trial. That while he was out in the field, the child began to say, My head, my head. He had a sunstroke. And so the father, because the father is so busy, he doesn't have time to gather up the lad and, and or tend to the lad himself, to the young man himself. He looks at another servant or a servant says, gather the lad up and take him to his mother. He says, I don't have time. I'm just too busy right now to pay attention to this. 
And so the Bible says the serpent gathers up the child, takes the child, and the mother places the child on her lap. And the Bible says that he dies at noon. So a short period of time, just a few hours pass. Now she is embracing him in death. This is the way trials come to us. Trials come to us when we least expect them. They come most of the time when you're busy doing other things. They interrupt you. You're going along and you're busy and you're doing things and then all of a sudden this trial comes and interrupts everything that you're doing, the busyness, and maybe in that busy time, could be you're on vacation. Could be a time of joy. Could be a special day you're celebrating. And then all of a sudden, a trial comes. And everybody's happy and everybody's celebrating. It's a great, great time. And, and unexpectedly, here comes this trial and it interrupts everything that you're doing and it takes the joy completely out of what you're doing at that time. The trials are like that. The trials come to us when we're busy. They, when we don't have time for them. Hear me? And a lot of times they come when you're looking and things are starting to turn around and saying, you know what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever been there? Things are starting to turn around. You've been through some battles, and all of a sudden, things are starting to turn around. You're saying, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Things are, things are getting a little better, a little easier for me, and all of them, boom, it hits you. Just out of nowhere. And that's the way it is for this woman. And this husband, they're busy. It's a time of joy. And the trial comes and interrupts. It happens to us over and over in life where we experience a trial when we don't have time for it. We're busy, we're in the harvest, man, or maybe we're enjoying something, and then, boom, it hits us out of nowhere. And the Bible says that this child, it was a big one too. It wasn't some small trial, it was severe. It was a severe test that came to her life. Now, when we look at it and we study it, or we look at our own lives and we start going through trials, we look at them a certain way, okay? We're busy, we don't have time for it, they interrupt us. We have some victory. Here comes another test and takes the joy away. And we think, man, it just, this, this trial just, it just came at the wrong time. If we look at it that way, if we look just through human eyes, but we have to understand that the trials that come to the Christian come from the hand of God. The trial comes from God in our life at a specific time. They didn't come by accident. No trial, no trial comes by accident to the believer. I don't know if you believe that. Every test that you and I go through, every trial that you and I go through, through is on God's calendar it's in God's time so from our perspective that was a bad time 
But remember, it's on God's time. And God assigns the tests and He assigns the trials that you and I go through. There's no accident when God puts you in a trial. When this came upon this family in the time of harvest, from their perspective, they might have thought, man, this is a bad time. No, it was God's time. So every trial that comes to you and to me, busy times, happy times, unexpected times, we need to start looking at the trial instead of saying, hmm, this is a bad time. We need to say, no, I'm on God's clock. And so, if God has determined that I'm going to be in a test right now, that means He's in control. And if He's in control, that means something good's coming down the road. Amen? God doesn't waste tests. And there's no such thing as an accident with God. So everything that comes to my life in your life is an assignment from God as far as tests and trials are concerned. And I have to look at it that way and have to say, okay, God, I'm going to reckon with your time. That's the problem. A lot of times we don't have time for God. And when tests and trials begin to come our way in busy times or happy times, we fall apart because we fail to understand that that test came from God. And because we haven't made time for God, then we fall apart. But if we'll start putting our lives on God's clock, if we'll start putting our lives in what God is doing, then everything that comes to us will say, Lord, this comes from you. And if it comes from you at this moment, there's a reason for it. And I'm expecting something good is going to come out of this. And we know this story. We know the end of the story. We know what happens at the end. But they didn't when they were going through it. But the fact that this young man is, is going to die here is actually going to create a greater blessing than what he would have been if he had never died. So when you're going through in your daily life tests and trials, begin to see God is in this. He's testing me right now for a reason. And I'm looking and I'm saying, man, it, you know, it, I don't want to go through this. This is, this is not going to be good. It's not going to produce any good thing. How can any good thing come out of this? And God says, I'm going to use it. And it's going to be better when I get through than it is now, even though that you can't see that right now. But you have to understand that trials never come when you want them to. They're going to come at the worst possible time as far as you're concerned. But God is in charge of it. And because of that, God is going to bring something good out of that situation. And it's going to be better than it was before. Hallelujah. And you can sit around, and I can sit around, and we can get depressed. We can, we can give ourselves to the emotions of depression and discouragement and say, oh, this, you know, I just can't believe this is happening. Like, you know, I've already been through enough, and now I've got something else to deal with, and it's just a bad time all around, and, and we can just allow our minds to get dark and get, just get oppressed and pushed down and discouraged and all of this stuff and just that the emotions push us down or we can say, no, God has sent the trial on time and I'm going to believe that God is going to bring something better in the end. 
So I'm going to have to exercise my faith to not let my mind put me in depression. Not let my emotions push me down into discouragement. But understand that the Word of God is true. And no matter what is happening to me right now, because God is my God, it is His assignment for me. So I can grow as a person and so I can experience better than I have right now. But if you're not careful, if we are not careful, we will allow the test that comes in our lives to cause us to want to quit or to be discouraged or to be depressed or despondent and dark. Not if you know God like I'm going to preach to Him tonight. You're going to see trials like you've never seen them before. Instead of something you want to get away, I don't want no more trials. I don't want any more tests. Man, I've passed enough of them. I've been in this a long time. I don't want to, no more. I don't need no more. God says, yes, you do. You need another one. Because I'm still making you the kind of person that you need to be. And I'm going to take the situation you're in and I'm going to make it better. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So how many of y'all seen trials come to you at the worst possible time? If you look at it from your perspective. But if you look at it from God's perspective, He's right on time. Hallelujah. Because He's going to make it better than it was before. And He's for sure going to make me better than I was before in the midst of this trial. Now, so it is a severe trial that she's going through. It is a severe trial. I don't know, honestly, let me slow down a little bit, but I honestly don't know what it would be like to go through this kind of trial. The loss of a child, I have never experienced that. I don't, I don't even begin to try to tell people who have, I know how you feel. Because I have never experienced that in my life. I know some that have. I know some in here. Some that are not in this church that have. I recently talked to a successful man. And he began to share with me his loss of a child in his life. He said, for two years I wanted to die. He said, for two years I prayed to God to give me a cancer. For two years I did not want to live. He said, I hurt so badly. He's still alive today. But that's the kind of emotion that the man went through. Okay? So that's as far as I'm going with that. But I don't... I can't touch it. I can't touch something like that. I've never experienced anything like that. I can't tell somebody that has. It's, it's okay. It'll be alright. I can't, I can't say I know how you feel because I don't know. That's to me probably one of the most painful things that anybody could ever go through is the loss of a child. And so this woman, it's not a small, tri a small trial that she's going through. It is a huge trial and it's severe and it came from the hand of God. And so the Bible tells us they gather this young man, uh, young boy up and take him to his mother. It happened so quickly. They were out in the field. Everybody was happy. He was full of life. Maybe he didn't protect himself from the sun like he was supposed to. As a child, I don't know. But all of a sudden, it changed suddenly. 
this child has been struck. He begins to cry, my head, my head. No doubt it's a sunstroke. And dad says, gather him up, take him to his mom. He's rushed to his mom. She places him on his lap, embraces him the second time, and, and then he dies quickly. Suddenly he's dead. He's here, and now he's gone. And that's what this, this, old, this man told me about his son. He said, when I was talking about he said he was here. We had planned to go on a trip. We had our bags packed to go on a trip. And the next morning, when we found him, he said, when we found him, he was gone. He was only in his 20s. It can happen so quickly, so fast. Your life can change in an instant. So fast. You're going through life and everything you know, seems to be sort of normal. And then all of a sudden, a severe event takes place. And that's what happened to this woman. Now she's holding probably a five-year-old boy in her arms. And he dies. Only a few hours from the time he cried out, my head, my head. And now he's dead. What a tremendous loss. What a huge trial. When I look at this passage, I need to reflect and really take some things out of it. And, and one of them is not only how trials come to us, when they come to us, and how severe they come to us, but I need to also look at it from the perspective of what kind of person are we dealing with here. This woman was a godly woman. She wasn't somebody that was in the world. She was a godly woman. The Bible says she fed the prophet when he came through. She made a chamber and gave him a place to sleep, a table, and a night, a candle for the night. She took time to care for the needs of this prophet. She was a great woman. And then the Bible tells us, if you read a little bit further, uh, in verse 23, her husband says to her, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. She said, It will be well. So now we see from that verse that they would travel to Mount Carmel, 20 miles away, to go to church. She was there on the Sabbath day, every Sabbath. And when there was a special occasion, the new moon, there she was at these special meetings that Elisha would be holding. She was faithful to the house of God, if you will. Faithful to going to church. Faithful to worshiping God. A woman that supported the ministry. Her husband, a part of it. And so these are faithful, dedicated, godly, a godly family, a godly husband, and a godly wife. Yet, the trial comes to them. The godly, you and I are not exempt from the trials of life. You and I start, well, we start going through a trial, we start falling apart. Well, God, why are you letting me go through this? We're not exempt from trials. Some of them are very, very severe. Amen. So don't think, well, if you're godly, you won't have a test. Tests come to the godly. The Bible tells us. 
verse 22, very reverently, with very a very submissive spirit. You would think that with the death of a child that she would be panicking. You think that maybe at this point as she sat there with him on her lap while he was alive no doubt she was praying God healing God don't let him die and God doesn't heal him you would think maybe at that point that she would become bitter and say God you let me down why didn't you heal my son I prayed to you God for hours while he was alive that he would be healed and he's not healed. Why didn't you heal him, God? She could have got bitter. She could have got angry. She could have fallen apart. She could have questioned God. But instead, the Bible tells us she does not panic. And with a very reverent spirit and a very reverent attitude to her husband. And look at what she says. She's got a dead baby on her hands, but her faith is not dead. When things happen to you in your life that you lose, you suffer loss, and they may be dead to you, the question is, when that dies to you, does your faith die? She prayed, God, no doubt she prayed, God heal this young man. God did not heal that young man. He died, but her faith did not die. And so the Bible says, she goes reverently to her husband, not as a woman, you know, domineering woman, ordering her husband around, but says, I got a request. I need a donkey and I need a servant because I got to get to the man of God. And, and you, you have to understand some of this point. There's no donkeys and there's no servants to be had. They're out in the field in the harvest, reaping the harvest. They don't have an extra donkey. They don't have an extra servant. But she did not let that problem stop her. She didn't let death stop her. She didn't let a problem of no access to a donkey or a servant stop her. She says to her husband, I'm requesting, I'm praying that you'll give me a donkey and a servant. And then she tells the servant, you're going to have to drive this donkey. Now what does that mean? She's going to get up on the donkey. She's going to sit on the donkey. And the servant's going to be behind the donkey and making the donkey go. Okay? As fast as the donkey needs to go. They're 20 miles away. It's not like, you know, today, you can go 20 miles pretty quickly. In that day, by donkey, it'd take you five to six hours. And she's going to go in the heat of the day. She gets on that donkey, and that servant is behind that donkey. And he's driving that donkey and he's making that donkey go as fast as the donkey can possibly go. Are you, are you with me here? And so the husband agrees. Okay, you can have a donkey and you can have a servant. And she looks at her husband and what does she say to him? She says, it'll be well. That's amazing to me. She says to her husband, Shalom. She says, peace, it's going to be peaceful. Let me put it to you in our terms so we'll understand. 
Don't worry about it, hon, honey. Everything's going to be all right. That's a woman whose faith hasn't died. That's a woman who's gone through a severe trial. That's a woman who looks at her trial and it's a reality. And is faced with not only death but a problem of getting. 20 miles away to the man of God and she looks at her husband very reverently with no panic in her voice and says it's going to be shalom for us everything's going to be alright you talk about yeah severe trial but you talk about a woman of great faith we need to learn from this woman hallelujah because we need to start looking at our trials and tests from a different perspective we need to look through, look and see them through the eyes of faith. A people who trust God and His Word. The only way that she could look at the death of her son and everything that she was going through at that moment was if she looked at it through faith. And that was, I trust my God and I trust His Word. And because I trust my God and I trust His Word, honey... It's going to be shalom for us. It's going to be peaceful. Everything's going to be all right. Because we got our confidence in the God that we serve. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Have you lost something recently? You have that kind of faith? You say, it's going to be all right. It's shalom. Hallelujah. Why? Because I'm believing in God. I'm trusting in God today in the midst of this trial. And so the Bible says, she mounts up and... Verse 25, she went and came into the man of God to Mount Carmel. Where does she go in her trial? Well, she's got a dead son. She had to overcome the problems of transportation. Now she's got to overcome 20 miles of traveling in the heat of the day. That's not going to be fun. But she's willing to do that. And she goes, where does she go? She goes to the man of God. Which means, in her trial, she trusts in God. In her trial, she's turning to God. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters. A lot of times, Christians turn to other things. They turn to the world. They turn to alcohol. They turn to psychologists. They turn to all kinds of things to try to make themselves feel a little better, you know? I need something to soothe my pain. I need some addiction, you know? Something that will make me feel good in the midst of my problems. Listen, that's, not, that's what the world does. But that's not only what the world does, that's what Christians do sometimes. Instead of turning to God, they turn to a bunch of other stuff to try to find comfort for their soul. But this woman of God says, no. I'm going to turn to my God and because she had that kind of faith she could look at her husband and say Shalom, it's going to be well. Give God some praise in the house. I don't want to be the kind of Christian that goes through trials and I turn to this or to that to find comfort. You know, some people turn to food. Some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to the world. Some people quit living for God. Some people turn to more work. I need to work more because you know I'm hurting right now. What are you turning to today? You should be turning and I should be turning to the living God. She turned to the living God and she says, I'm going to get to him. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Now you think about that. 
she could have also got upset about that. Because she could have looked at the situation and says, where is Elisha when I need him? He's 20 miles away, five or six hours away. And when I need him, he's not available. But she didn't let that stop him stop her she didn't let distance stop her she said I'll get to the man of God if I've got to try five or six hours because I know God is with that man he's got a double portion on that man of anointing hallelujah and I believe in that God is going to move through him and we're going to be shalom it's going to be peaceful she didn't sit around and cry and whine because the man of God wasn't available to her he was too far she said I'll get to him give God praise in this house I feel the Holy Ghost in this place what do you do when you get in a test or a trial answer the question for yourself do you turn to something else or do you turn to the living God and put your trust in him Instead of sitting around crying and whining and feeling sorry for yourself, you say, no, I believe God and I believe His Word. She said, nah, you know, God, I, He was across the street. You know, no, she said, he, He's not here for me right now. I mean, He, you know, He had services on the Sabbath day. He had church on the new moon. That's when He was available to them. And she would travel and they would go to church, right? And her husband says, well, you're going to go see the man of God. It's not a Sabbath day or a new moon. That's not an appointed time. She didn't let that stop her either. There's a lot of people make a lot of excuses, you know. Well, they just weren't available for me. They weren't there for me. Blah, 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 blah. On and on it goes. No faith says, I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to turn to God. I'm not going to turn to anything else but God in this situation. People today, they need drugs to wake up. Then they need drugs to go to sleep. What are you turning to? Turn to God. Look at your neighbor and say, turn to God. Well, I tried to call the pastor. He's not available. Did that stop you? No, turn to God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. That's her. What a great woman of God. She just doesn't let anything stop her. Verse 23. She went and came into the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with the, thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Like that song that man sang. It is well. Lost four children, four daughters to death. And as he travels in that spot where they had drowned, he, God gives him that song, It is well with my soul. This woman said, By faith. And it had to be by faith. It couldn't be by looking at the circumstances she was in. 
it could not be looking at the child she left in the chamber of the man of God dead. She couldn't go by that. She made a long, hard travel to get to the man of God during the heat of the day. It was a hard travel. She's tired, no doubt. There's no circumstances that's changed. But when you talk to her, she said, it's well. Why? Because she put her confidence in God and in His Word. Do you have that kind of faith? If I were to ask you, how's it going? Say, well, let me just tell you. Oh, pastor, just move. If you knew, let me just... And if you say, if you knew, that means you're getting ready to tell me. Oh. Only people who are prepared for a trial respond to a trial this way. This woman was prepared for a trial. You know how you get prepared for a trial? It's by being right with God. Because I'm going to tell all you wonderful people tonight, you're going to have a test. You're going to have a trial. It's going to come from the hand of God. It's not going to be an accident. And when it comes to you, what will determine your response to that trial is your preparation. Are you prepared for the trial by being right with God? If you're right with God, you'll say, it is well with my soul. If you're not right with God, then you will react in an inappropriate way. It all depends on whether or not you are prepared for the trial. This woman of God, a godly woman, was prepared for the trial when it came. That means she was right with her God. If you're not right with God, when trials come, if we're not right with God, we're going to respond wrong. But if you're right with God, when the trial comes, you're going to say, it's all right. It's all right, honey. It's all right. God's with us. We're trusting in God. We're trusting in His Word. We're not going to panic. We're not going to lose control. We're not going to go crazy here. We're not going to lose our walk with God. We're not going to turn to the world. We're going to turn to God. We're going to believe God for a miracle. I guarantee you when the tests and trials come in our life, if we panic, if we don't handle them right, it's because we're not right with God. Because when we're right with God, we will say, it is well. It is shalom. I'm doing great. In Jesus' name, hallelujah to the Lamb. I have no reason to hang my head. I have no reason to be discouraged. I have no reason to be depressed. If I'm right with my God, I will respond to the trial correctly. The question tonight is, are you prepared for the trial that's fixing to come? Maybe you're in one right now, but I'm going to promise you that's not going to be the last one. Because in the next chapter, and I won't preach it to you tonight, but after she gets through with this trial, in the eighth chapter, she's faced with another trial. And that means the loss of her lamb in a time, land in a time of famine. The godly are not saved from multiple trials in their life. Hallelujah. Okay, God bless you, every one of you. So I'm just going to tell you, right now, maybe you're going through a little trial. But the longer you live for the Lord, He makes them bigger. 
they don't get smaller. When you first get in the church, he gives you first grade trials, first grade tests. Okay? And if you're prepared, you could pass that. And then you live, live, live for the Lord, Lord a little bit longer, and he gives you second grade tests. But if you're still at a first grade level in your walk with God, the second grade test is going to defeat you. What I'm trying to tell you is when the test comes, if God requires you to be at second grade and you're still in first grade, then the second grade test is going to whip you. So the longer you live for the Lord, at some point, He's going to give you a 12th grade test. And then after that, He's going to give you a college test. And after that, then you're going to get your doctorate. Well, let's don't go to the doctorate first. Let's go master's. And then after you get your master's degree in testing, then He's going to give you your doctorate degree in testing. So you better be advancing in your walk with God so that when you get to these levels of testing that's going to come from God, you'll be able to handle it. If you're still back over here in fifth grade, when He gives you your doctorate test, guess what? You're going to fail. It's all about preparation. I don't know what test is coming my way down the road, but I want to be prepared when it does come. If it's a 10th grade test, I want to be at that level 10th grade so I can pass it. If it's, if it's college, I want to be at that level. If it's a master's degree, I want to be at that level. If it's a doctorate, I want to be at that level. But you have to understand that tests come directly from God. He has adorned them for your life. And He expects you to be a certain place in your walk with God, mature enough to handle it when it comes. And if you can't handle it, it's not God's fault. If you can't handle it, it's because you did not prepare yourself for that test. They get harder as you go. She was prepared. So when the prophet asked her, is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son? Yeah, it is well. She said it by faith. And she believed it. This wasn't just words. She believed it. Because the structure she was standing on was faith. If you've got faith holding your platform up, there ain't nothing that can destroy it. She's standing on solid ground, the solid ground of faith in a time of trial, and nothing, nothing, nothing can destroy it. In the name of Jesus. Trials in daily life. And how to be victorious. So anyway, let me keep on. Man, I, I gotta watch out because I start getting the preacher on me here. The prophet, hallelujah, wants to know, is it well? Verse 27, when she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by the feet. Now what does that mean? That means she fell at his feet and grabbed a hold of him. Now that doesn't mean that she's falling down to worship the man. What that means in the East is a picture of supplication. What she's showing when she falls at this man's feet is showing her how serious her supplication is to God. This is serious business. 
she falls and grabs the feet because she's letting him know this is serious. I need something to happen. So in earnest, I come to you and I'm grabbing your feet. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The Bible tells us, amen. She caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone. So now she's got another obstacle. She's got another trial. She's overcome the trial of the death of her son. She's overcome the, the problem of, of getting transportation. She's overcome traveling the long journey from the heat of the day. She's overcome, amen, all of that. And then when she gets there to the man of God, one of his disciples, treat her rudely. Here she is laying at his feet in earnest supplication. And, and a disciple of the prophet rebukes her. What do you do when somebody in your own church is trying to hinder your pursuit of God? How do you respond when a, even maybe a, a servant of a prophet is rude to you? How do you handle when somebody in the church is literally treating you like this and, and hindering your pursuit? I'll tell you what she did. She didn't let it make her better. She let the prophet handle it. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Give the Lord praise in this house. See, sometimes it's not just going to be people in the world that are going to try to hinder your pursuing of God. It's going to be somebody in the church house. The rudeness and the treatment that came to this woman, a seeker of God, a woman who is in pain, a woman that needs help right now. And Gehazi is so carnal and so out of it that he can't see her in her need. He rebukes her from grabbing hold of the prophet. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. What you do then is you just keep trusting in God because your faith can't be shaken. When somebody is rude to you in the church, I, that's not going to shake me because I've got my confidence in my God, my trust in the Word of God. I'm not putting my trust in anybody, anybody in the church. That rudeness is not going to kill my faith. Another test, she overcome. The Bible tells us, look at it. God didn't tell the prophet what the problem was. He didn't have to. All the prophet had to do was ask the question, what's wrong? If somebody's there, you know, and they're having a problem, all you got to do is ask them the question, what's wrong? Right. They can tell you. God doesn't have to give you a supernatural prophetic word. I don't need a supernatural prophetic word for Brother Timothy about what's wrong with him. If he's standing right there and he can tell me. 
I'm not going to tell you, Pastor, because I want to see if God works by you. I want to see if God speaks by you. So I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to tell you and we're just going to let God talk here. I say, well, God's probably not going to talk then. Not until you open your mouth. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I mean, sometimes God will speak to the man of God and, and speak to you about problems that you might be having. But sometimes He doesn't. And you're sitting there, well, I wonder if the pastor's going to call me today. He don't call. Well, he don't care about me. He does. All you got to do is pick up the telephone. The, let me just say it this way. The phone rings two ways. All you got to do is pick up the phone and say, hey, pastor, I got a problem. I promise you, by the grace of God, I'm going to try to help you. Amen? Don't, don't, don't get into this just, you know, spooky stuff. Well, I'm going to know it's God. God wanting to help me if the pastor calls me about it. Well, He wants to help you, you know, but He doesn't always speak. I'm not a prophet either. He is. I'm not. But he, God doesn't always work that way. By supernatural prophetic vision and dream. What's wrong with you? Oh, let me tell you, Pastor. Okay. Straighten up. Sit down. Get the altar. Repent. Get right with God. You'll be done. I'm just kidding. The prophet didn't know. This was a true prophet of God, man. Okay? This man hears from God. He says, I don't know what the problem is. Because God hasn't spoke to me. Amen. Say praise the Lord, church. Woo! Now I want you to see something so powerful. In verse 28. Her response to the prophet. She says this. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? That is powerful. Listen, everybody with me? If, if you don't hear anything else, please hear this. Remember this story when we first started out? I told you how it's important to focus on one point, And that is that she did not insist on anything. She didn't ask for a child. She didn't insist on anything. So now when she comes to the prophet, she says, I didn't desire a son. I would rather not have had a son than to have a son and this happen. I don't know it, how many of you got kids or how many of you have ever been through this before. But sometimes you look at them and you say, Lord, you're here, but <laughs> man, it's hard you being here. So we're not really sure if you're, we're glad you're here. In fact, it might have been better if we had never had children. Because they create so much pain. Anybody ever been there? 
Man, I remember when we had no kids. It was so peaceful in our house. No, it wasn't. The point, brothers and sisters, is this. Is that, the, listen very carefully. What is she expressing? This trial that has come upon her, the loss of her son, wasn't because she insisted on something. Having been warned by God. No. That's the point. See, everybody look, everybody look up here at me just for a few minutes, okay? What she is helping us understand is this is that the trial she's going through is not because she insisted on something. Even though she was warned. And now, as a result of insisting on getting what she wanted, having been warned, she's eaten the peel of consequence in what she obtained. Did that make sense? See, so many they insist, I've got to have this, I want this, I insist, I demand it, God give it to me. And then all of a sudden, you get it. And then here comes the pill of consequence in what you just obtained. So a lot of times, because we insisted on something, with a warning, we experience consequence. Or, maybe when we get something from the Lord, we fade in our faithfulness to God. A lot of people do that, man. They get something from God to get a new car, get whatever it is, and they fade in the relationship. This woman never did fade. She kept going to church on the Sabbath day. She kept going on the, on the new moon. She kept worshiping God. She kept being faithful even though she had a child. A lot of times people have children. They quit being faithful. They fade in their relationship with God. What she's saying is this. I didn't insist on this. I didn't desire this child. I got it by reward. I don't understand. It's a surprise. I, don't, I can't make sense of why this child would die when it was given to me from God as a promise. He gave it to me and yet I'm still experiencing this. This is not a pill that I'm swallowing because I insisted that I must have it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is not because I was unfaithful or faded once I got the child. I don't even really, at this point, it would be easier if I had never got them. That's what she's trying to say. The point is this, is that trials are going to come to you and they're not pills of consequence because you insisted on something you were warned about or because you faded in your relationship with God once you received it. That's what she's saying. Hallelujah. There's a lot of people tonight in the church house. They're hurting and they're going through trials because they insisted on having it their way. And now the peel of consequence is coming. And that's hard, man. With me? But at least, if you insisted, and you're eating the pill of consequence in what you obtain, at least it's a little understandable, isn't it? When you look at the trial and say, that's on me. At least that's understandable. Or if you receive something, and you fade in your relationship with God, and the trial comes, you can understand. That's because I've neglected my relationship with God. That was on me. 
But when you haven't done those, and you have been faithful and godly, and you're still receiving these things from the hands of God, it is hard to understand the reason for the trial. And God doesn't always explain it to us. Best advice I can give all of us is don't insist on things when God warns you and then eat the pill of consequence from that which you've obtained. And if God does bless you, don't fade in your relationship with God because a trial will come. God knows how to put you on your knees. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Okay, here we go, here we go. read verse 28 again then she said did I desire a son of my Lord did I not say do not deceive me then he said to Gehazi gird up thy loins and take thy staff in thy hand and go thy way if thou meet any man salute him not and if any salute thee answer him not again and lay my staff upon the face of the child okay Gehazi I'm going to deputize you I'm not going You go for me. Okay? I deputize you to go in my place. Okay, you represent. But I'm not going. Well, you have to understand that this woman's hope was not in Gehazi. This woman, in the man that had a double portion. This man's, this woman's hope was in the man of God that she perceived to be a holy man of God. This woman's hope was in the man that she prepared food for him and a a chamber for. She knew Elisha was a man of God. But as far as Gehazi is concerned, she can't put her hope in him. She doesn't even know him. And we'll find out she was right. So when Elisha says, okay, I'm going to send you, Gehazi, in my place. You know what she says? You know what she says? Anybody know what she says? Verse 30, And the mother child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Now if you'll remember back in 2 Kings, things chapter 2, This is the same thing that Elisha said to Elijah three times. Elijah put Elisha to the test. Elijah says, I'm going to go here, you go there. And Elisha says, oh no, I'm with you. And not just one time, but three times. Elijah says to Elisha, you go here and I'm going there. Three times. As thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. That was a test in her life she probably didn't even recognize as being a test. But what Elijah was doing, he was testing the sincerity of her faith. So when, when he, she wasn't disrespectful. But when Elisha said, 
Gehazi, you go. She says the same thing to Elisha that Elisha said to Elijah. I'm not leaving you. That's so powerful. That shows you the sincerity of, of a person. You might go, Bob. I'm not you. You think she knew the test was there? No. But there was that faith that was in her, it says. The same thing, the same kind of faith that was in Elisha is in this woman of God. I'm not going to leave you. Hallelujah. Give God praise in the house. You got some people in the church, you couldn't run off if you tried. And then you got some people you couldn't keep if you tried. Hallelujah. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Hallelujah. And if we're that kind of people that we're committed, we'll say, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give God some praise. You know what that does? That proves the sincerity of your faith. You get that? That says, I trust. Oh, we got people there all over the place, man. They here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, live for God. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see about this next Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to test your sincerity. Well, I want to talk to the pastor. Well, I might send a five-year-old out to talk to you. Amen? How old is Oren? Seven. Eleven. Oh, he's, he's too old. How old are you, Jasmine? You're eight? You're too old, too. How old are you, Danielle? You're six? Well, you're a little bit too old, but we can use you. I want to talk to the pastor. And the pastor sends Danielle. What do you need, sir? What do you need, ma'am? Well, I'm going to talk. No, he sent me. You're going to have to talk to me. Well, you can stomp off mad. Or you can have the faith that says, okay, well, I'll be here. I'll be here. Amen. If he makes time for me, I'll be here. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now, we're not, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to play games with you. We won't do that. But neither was God playing games with this woman. When He gave her this son, He wasn't playing games with her and take it away. God doesn't play games with you. God gave her the son and He received the son back. And it's a test of her faith because He knows He's going to make it better than it was before. God does it. You think if you think God playing games, He don't play games with you. But the man of God in this passage had the authority to send his servant. This woman is tested, and come to find out, she was right. Because Gehazi gets over there with Elisha's staff, lays the staff on the child. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Now that rod represents the law of God and the law cannot produce life, only death. So we won't get into that, but that's why. 
but nothing happened. No voice, no life, no power. He just continued to lay there. And I'm sure Gehazi's going, man, what's happening here? I took Elisha's staff, put it on the child. He's still dead. No breathing, no voice, no power, nothing. Shows you he was woefully lacking. Somebody said, praise the Lord. But because she looked at the prophet and said, I'm not leaving you. Woo. The prophet went himself. He made that long journey, 20 miles from Mount Carmel, to where that, where that boy was in that chamber. Why? Because of that man, this woman's sincere faith. That's powerful. Verse 32, Elisha was coming into the house. Behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child, put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands, and he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed. Isn't that amazing? When I look at this woman in the midst of this trial, this woman never lost hope. She never gave up. She didn't panic. She faced one trial after another trial and kept on going forward, trusting in God and in His Word. Hallelujah. And now, it's the end of the trial. And God is going to make it better than what she had before. Watch. Well, how does He end it? Let's look at it. So the prophet lays. And you say, Pastor, explain that to us. This man putting his eyes, laying on this child, putting his eyes on his eyes, mouth on his mouth, hands on his hands. I started to say, I can't. But I believe God just gave me a revelation. That's the cross. Amen, amen. Through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, the law, the law could not raise the dead. But what Jesus Christ did on the cross brings eternal life. Give the Lord praise in the house. What does he do when he does that? He begins to pray. And who does he pray to? God. He doesn't get props. I told you this about miracles last week. God's miracles, he don't need props. He didn't get a rabbit's foot. He didn't get a special root. He didn't get a medallion or a cup or no. The Word of God. Just prayer. Just pray. There's power in prayer. But it was an earnest prayer. Because He didn't just stand by... He put His whole being into that prayer. It was earnest prayer. And He prayed to who? To God. The power that is in prayer.
prayer. Verse 33, he went therefore and shut the door upon them too and prayed unto Notice as he's praying, she's left outside. It's only the prophet and the son. She's shut out of the room. Watch this. If it would have been you or me, we might have been, Hey! How's it going in there? Any, any, anything happening in there? Hey, can I, can I, can I come? I want to come in there. I want to see. Why'd you leave me out here? I'm the mama. I should be in there. You got people, man, they push themselves into every situation, man. They'd have been knocking on the door. Hey, what's going on? Hey, I'm supposed to be in there. No. She waited patiently. The man of God wasn't interested in a public display. He wasn't interested in some kind of crazy show to take place. He went in there by himself with that dead boy and he stayed in there and he prayed with him. Hallelujah. And the woman wasn't even there. And she could have got offended. She could have been persistent and knocking on the door and let me in. But she didn't. Shows you the patience that the woman had. And not only the, the patience, but submission. When you have to sit patiently by and wait outside the door, and you've been shut out, if you can be patient, Instead of always wanting to know everything. You know what that shows? The submission shows, really, that you do trust Him. Her spirit toward her husband, her spirit toward the prophet of submission was an awesome thing to behold. That showed everybody, I trust. And I don't have to put my hands in everything. I don't have to take control of everything. I don't have to be involved with everything. I'm just going to sit outside the door and I'm going to wait for God to do it. Why don't, why, don't, why don't you just learn sometimes just to wait on God? Just to be patient. Say, Lord, I'm trusting you. That's hard, isn't it? That's, that's probably the hardest part of faith is to wait. Amen. But she does. The Bible says he stretched upon the child in earnest prayer to the Lord. As he did, the Bible said the child sneezed seven times. I think that was seven. If not, we go one more. What a strange response. Seven sneezes. Why seven sneezes? Because God is telling you there's a day. It's called the seventh millennium, the kingdom age. When God is going to bring an end to death. And death will not live. Death will not be around anymore. Death will be gone and only life. When 
you get beyond the seventh millennium. Give God praise in the house. And so anyway, for her though, for her, it was simply the end of her trial. And the end of her trial was a resurrected son. What she had now was better than what she had before. Before she had a child that she embraced in life and then embraced in death, now she's embracing Him in life again. And she has a testimony throughout eternity. God raised my son from the dead. He made it better than it was before. And her faith in her as a person, she was better in the end. Because in the midst of her trial, her manners, her conduct, the way she handled it, one situation to another, demonstrating that she truly trusted in God, no matter what she was facing. Amen. If you believe it, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. That happened in the Old Testament. They witnessed a kingdom miracle. They witnessed kingdom power. In the Old Testament, there were three resurrections. In the New Testament, there were three resurrections. Jesus was the fourth and with me. The first fruits, a total of seven resurrections. Kingdom power. Amen. Took place that day. This woman's faith. And so when the Bible calls her great, it wasn't just because she was great in health. She could have been a pauper in the city, in the town. But she, but she was great in her trial. And she was great in her faith. We can learn how to handle trials in the midst. Amen. Of them trust God. And his, the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, Call this shooter by. So he called her, and when she was coming to un, unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Stop, please. What did she do? What would you do? If your son's just been raised from the dead, what would you do? Probably what I would do. I don't know about you, but probably what I would do, I'd run straight to my child, embrace him, not her. She falls at the feet of the man of God again. She grabs his feet. This time it's not an earnest for supplication, something she needs. She falls at his feet in thanksgiving. She was grateful. When you pray earnestly, also praise with the same earnestness that you prayed for the miracle. So many times people receive from the hand of God so many things. They prayed hard and God did. But yet they embraced the miracle that they get the miracle for Not her. She embraced with great thankfulness and thankfulness what God had done for her. And sure before she ever prayed. Praise 
that's the way the trial is Father God, we stand in your presence today. We thank you, Father God, for helping us to understand when trials come. They come because you assign them. And when they come, they're always for something better. Let us see, let us understand, Father, that the trial that has come to us is not for death, but life. It's not for hindrance, it's for help. It's not to bring us to despair, but to bring us to hope. Father, we thank you today for an example that we can get a hold of and live by. It is well with my soul when everything, God, trying to press me down, push me down, discourage me, depress me. Father, it is well with my soul. It's well with my family. It's well with my children. It is well because I trust in you, God. I'm standing, Lord, on the scaffold of faith and nothing can break it down, Lord. I believe in you and I trust in you. In Jesus' name.